Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to Galatians, the third chapter. Galatians chapter 3. If you notice the title of the message this morning, it may seem a little bit familiar to you if you're a fan of vocal jazz or Ella Fitzgerald. I've been listening to Ella sing this song all week. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. And a lot of people have done that song over the years, but I, I, I love her version the best. Uh, Galatians, the third chapter, let's read together starting in verse 1. It says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it, is, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred 
had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have become by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will be here among us this morning, Lord, as we glean some thoughts from your word. Speak to us as you, you can, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It can be very easy sometimes to get off on the wrong direction. Make a wrong turn, end up going the wrong way. Most of us are familiar with that cartoon character, Bugs Bunny. And more often than not, you'd see the little burrow coming from the background, coming up to the foreground of the show, and he would pop his head up and he would look around and he said, looks like I made a wrong turn at Albuquerque. It's easy to make a wrong turn when you're listening to someone who you feel like ought to have the right answers. We went on, went on a trip one time to, to Disney in Florida, the first trip we made, and Claudia was about three, and Libby was 16 months old, and we had a church member who had had a kidney transplant at UAB, and so we thought, well, we'll just make a, make a trip through there and pay a quick visit to them and then go through to Florida that direction, following the GPS. After we left Birmingham, we headed on down to Montgomery, and I was driving, and, and the GPS is supposed to be right, right? Yeah. Took us an hour and a half to get out of Montgomery. <laughs> Almost caused a divorce, not really, but we were not happy campers at each other, I can guarantee you. But I was paying attention to what the GPS was saying. And the whole time I should have been looking around because the interstate was just right there. We ended up in a, in a subdivision. Needless to say, the GPS did not stay on the dash the rest of the trip. But we can get turned around and headed in the wrong direction pretty quickly in life. Back in October of 1964, a defensive end by the name of Jim Marshall for the Minnesota Vikings recovered a fumble from a San Francisco 49er player and headed to the end zone. 66 yards, but there was just one problem. Marshall went the wrong way. He ended up running 66 yards the wrong direction and scoring a two-point safety for the 49ers. Now, luckily, in the excitement, he, he 
he just he was so elated that he had done this and he, he you could see kind of the puzzled look on his face as he's running toward the end zone and not a soul is, is around him luckily that did not affect the outcome of the game 49ers uh ended up winning that game but uh it, it was oh the, the vikings did i'm sorry but it was uh it was a very big blunder he just in the excitement, he got caught up in the moment and went the wrong direction. He has never been voted into the Hall of Fame, though he's got some records that are quite impressive. He's the most, uh, the defensive player that played the most consecutive games in his career, 270 games consecutively. He holds a record for recovering the most fumbles from an opponent at 29. But the record, he just can't shake. The most yardage lost on a fumble recovery, 66 yards, that very play. And he never made it into the Hall of Fame. Paul is writing here to the Galatians, and he wrote this epistle to the churches in Galatia, as it mentions in, in the first chapter, verse 2. Now, this is an area in modern-day Turkey where... Uh, Paul had made some missionary journeys through there, and he, he had founded some churches in cities such as Antioch, Lystra, and Derby. So these people were very near and dear to him. He started these churches there, and he wanted to see them grow and flourish. But he says in chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this word bewitched, the root of that word kind of gives the impression of being having a spell cast on you. He says, who has bewitched you? There was a group of false teachers that have, had started to arise in this area called the Judaizers. And they were basically Jewish converts. They had become Christians, but they still held on to that, that same old Jewish rules and, and, and regulations. And so they were, they were slipping in and trying to tell the, the Gentile converts in this area that you needed to do this and this and this to fully be truly pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul writes to the Galatians there to, to try to turn them around because he saw they were headed in the wrong direction. They were listening to things they shouldn't be listening to. They were bewildered. It confused them. It, they had, what they had learned at first when they accepted Christ, now they were being told something a little different adding to it. And so they were being taught legalism or works-based salvation. So Paul's writing this letter to urge them to turn around and to avoid this heresy and to try to redirect them into the correct way. In chapter 3, we're going to see how Paul uses three different points to prove that God saves through faith alone in Christ alone and not by works of the law. The first point that Paul makes is he points out their personal experiences. If you look in the first few verses there, he pummels them with questions. In effect, he's asking them, where are you in relation to, your, to the Lord? Where are you? Where, where are you in relation to where you were in the beginning? And I thought about, you remember when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden? It kind of made me think about when, when they were there and they had eaten the forbidden fruit and said the Lord came walking in the cool of the day. And what did he ask Adam? Where are you? Now, do you think God knew where he was? I think God asked him, where are you, Adam? So that Adam would realize 
where he was in relation to God, what he had done. Where are you? And so Paul is sort of kind of asking the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Where are you in relation to where you were at the start? He asked them, who has bewitched you? Who has cast this spell on you? What are you, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Why are you where you are? And he asked them some other questions here. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Or by believing what you heard? He tells them, remember before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now they did not see the crucifixion with their own eyes. But through the eyes of faith, when Paul came and preached to them, he says Christ was clearly portrayed to them as crucified. And they believed it. And now he's asking them, you know, what did you receive the Holy Spirit? by doing all these things that these Judaizers are telling you to do? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by what you believed? Did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing? And then he asks them another question. He says in verse 3, After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You started off believing and you receive the Holy Spirit by believing, but now are you trying to finish by doing it yourself? I'm reminded of what Paul told the Philippians in, in chapter 1. He says, he, he's confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. God brings us to faith in Him. and He's going to finish the work. Amen. Apart from what we do. And then Paul asked them in, in, the, in the first few verses there, he says, have you gone through all these experiences in vain? In verse 4 he says there. Have you suffered so much for nothing? He says, think about all the things you've gone through. Think about your own personal experience and the things that you've gone through to bring you to this point. And now you're going to turn your back on them and start doing it your own way? All of us have personal experiences. Let me ask you a question. If you think back on your own life, think back to when you first became a Christian, first became a follower of Christ, or you think back to all the things in your life that have taken place where you knew God was in control, answered prayers, healing, how does that make you feel when you remember those things? When you remember how He got you out of a tough spot and you knew it was Him, doesn't it make you deeply love Him even more when you remember all those things? I was reminded of the, the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Uh, when after Jesus had been crucified and had been in the tomb three days and He was resurrected. And these two were walking and rehashing the day's events in Luke 24, walking to a town called Emmaus. And it says Jesus showed up in their midst there and walked along with them. 
And he says there in Luke 24, in verse 27, it says, And beginning with, he asked them what was going on, and they told him everything. And he said, How foolish are you, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And he said, in, the begin, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village, they begged him to come on and eat with them. And they sat down, and as he broke bread, they recognized him for the first time. And then as they rehashed it afterward, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? When we get ourselves in position to be near the Lord. Our hearts should burn within us like these men on the road to Emmaus. Now not everybody's experience, personal experience is the same. Not all of us are struck by a blinding light like Paul. I know for me, when I was about 13, I went down front at Brooksville Methodist Church and made a profession of faith with my lips. But my heart was far from him. And it wasn't after 10 or 12 years of doing things my own way after I got out of high school and went on to college, I basically threw away 10 or 12 years there of not serving him. Now, he continued to try to pull me back, but I always wanted to do things my way. And it wasn't until I was about 30 years old, I went on a religious retreat called A Walk to Emmaus. And it's at that point in time where I truly surrendered my heart to the Lord. And I can remember a long time there, it kind of was embarrassing to me to admit that I was 30 before I ever really truly got saved. It was a little bit embarrassing. But not anymore. But not everyone's experience is the same. Not everyone's personal experience is the same. And so Paul is, is telling these Galatians, remember your personal experience. He points it out to them. Points it to them to try to prove to them that their faith in Christ alone is what saves them by God's grace. Second thing he does, he points, uh, not only points to their personal experience, but he provides for them a scriptural example. He talks about Abraham. Brings up the example of Abraham. Let me ask you a question. In the Old Testament, how were people saved? In the Old Testament? How were people saved in the Old Testament? By grace through faith, the same way we are today. Scripture says in Genesis 15 and verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham was not a Jew when he was called out of the land of Ur. He was a Gentile, just like us. He became a Jew later when God implemented circumcision and all that. But he was a Gentile just like us when he was called to come from Ur. He was not a Jew at that time. But he believed God, and because of that, God credited him is righteous. Uh, he's probably the, the best example Paul could use in combating the Judaizers 
because they were, they were saying you had to keep the law. You had to be, become a Jew first and then you could truly be saved. So he pulls this scriptural example of Abraham. Why not use the patriarch of patriarchs? That's the best option. The one they call the father of the Jews. And God's word says he was declared righteous because he believed God, not because of the law. You see, the law did not come into existence for 430 years later. After Abraham was already dead and gone. The law demands 100% obedience. James 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. James chapter 2 and verse 10. If we were going to keep the law and we decided for 20 years we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't break a single law. We didn't drive over the speed limit. We didn't do anything out of the ordinary. And after 20 years, we decided to go up here and rob bank first. What do you think would happen? We'd go to jail. What we had done in the past didn't matter. And that's the reason it's so hard to keep the law because it requires 100% obedience. If you break one commandment, it's all null and void. And so that's the reason we have to be saved by grace through faith. Paul says in verse 11 there, says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Now that's his quote right out of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. Now God wanted to make sure that we got that point very clear because he said it in Habakkuk. He quotes it here in Galatians. It's also quoted in Romans and Hebrews. So he wanted to make very clear that we got that the righteous shall live by faith. And then Paul finishes up his point of the scriptural example in verse 14 where he says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He points to their personal experiences. And then he provides a scriptural example but lastly, I want us to see where he presents them a logical explanation. Look at verse 15 there. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. We've been talking about selling the parsonage. Talking about signing this contract. If the church signs this contract and the lady that's purchasing the house sells a contract, they're the only two that can break it. The two people that enter into a contract together are the only two that can break it. Somebody else, a third party, can't come in and say, null and void. In 16 there, uh, the verse 16 says, the promises are spoken to Abraham and to his seed, meaning Christ. Now this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the fall of man took place and God stated that He said to the serpent after all this had taken place, He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. 
In other words, hostility, a feud, opposition. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush, crush your head and you will strike his heel. Talking about the, the children of the devil and the children of the Lord. And Satan's goal in the Old Testament was to try to keep Christ from being born because he knew that he would crush his head. Christ would crush his head. Ultimately, God made the promise with Abraham through Christ. And so, God the Father and God the Son, the two parties in this covenant. Abraham had nothing to do with it. He was asleep. In the Old Testament times, when they were going to make a covenant, they would, they would take a goat and a heifer and a ram, they would split them in two. It's just Abraham did that in, in Genesis chapter 15. Puts half over here and half over there. And the two parties would walk together hand in hand, signifying a binding of a contract. But as we notice in the 15th chapter of Genesis, Abraham was sleeping when all this took place. God went through on His own. He passed through with a blazing a smoking pot and a blazing torch. God made the covenant while Abraham slept. And so... It's all God. Man can't do anything to break it. He can't do anything to break it because it's God's plan put in place. If there was any other way that God could have done this, do you think He'd have done it? If there's any other way than to send His Son to die, do you think He, could, he would have done it? I believe He would have. If somebody came to me and said, you're going to sacrifice one of your children so that everybody else can live. Or you can do this other way. You can make a law and fix it. I'd always go with option B. But God didn't do that because it was the only way. It was the only way. Hebrews 9 verse 28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And He will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. And then Paul finishes it with this logical explanation in verses 26 through 29. He says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one into Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul drove his point home that we're justified by faith alone and Christ alone. It's by faith. He pointed the Galatians to their personal experiences. And then he pointed out the very best scriptural example. And then he gives them a logical explanation and showed how God made the covenant promise with Abraham. It didn't have anything to do with Abraham. God did it. All Abraham did was believe God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. With so much white noise in the world today, 
So many TV preachers out there telling you just about anything you want to hear. It can be easy to fall victim to wrong teaching and to travel down the wrong, start traveling down the wrong path and going the wrong way. There's so many sins out there that are constantly before us on TV and on movies, on the radio. You have to be careful what you hear. You have to be careful what you see. Peter says in, in his epistle, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so we need to make sure we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And maybe you find yourself this morning on the wrong path in some way. And you realize that somewhere along the way you took a wrong step. And God is calling you back to the right path. Let me tell you this, you take one step and you're there. Just like the prodigal son, you remember? Once you made the decision to come home, He was there. And maybe you realize this morning you haven't really been seeking God like you ought to. And He's calling you back to a relationship with Him calling you back to a renewal of your devotion to Him, to pour yourself into His Word and prayer, you'll get there. But however the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning, would you respond? The time is now. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for Paul and for his ministry. Father, help us to always be looking to You, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to always remember that we're saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. Forgive us when we fail You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.